1: The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down, seas would have roared, trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in, and when no one was looking in the darkness, He came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared. Right there in her bedroom, he was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the tall, shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby. A little boy. You call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. The God who flung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around. The the God who made the universe with just a word. The one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby? Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world. But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God? Gabriel said. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now, Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, the town King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. Every bed was taken. Go away, the innkeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon, Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old, tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world his wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal feedings through as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. Mary and Joseph, named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us, because of course, he had.
0: So you might know that we lived on the mission field for a while. When we lived on the mission field, we didn't have central heating and cooling, we didn't have hot water, right? So I actually showered outside in our swimsuits. Now, in in the daytime, I had my... PVC exposed to the sun so it would heat up the water. So we had a little bit of hot water, but in the rainy season at night, and it was windy, it was cold actually. So one night, Charlie took her night shower. It's rainy season, and she comes to her back door, which is a screen door, and I can see her just dripping wet. She's got her towel around her and her swimsuit. She's like, Daddy, hold me. I'm cold. And in a moment of great dad selfishness failure, I was like, Well, babe. How about once you put on some dry clothes, then I'll cuddle you. You know, like dad fell. Well, the next day, roles had reversed. I took a night shower. It's windy. It's cold. I'm standing at the back door. I'm dripping wet. Little Charlie's sitting in the exact same spot where I was. And I'm like, Char, I'm so cold. Hold me. You know what she did? She said, come here, daddy. I'll hold you. Like this. Of course, I feel like an even worse dad then, Right? In my mind, I'm like, what in the world would motivate you to respond like that? Why would you come here, daddy? And the reason is this is that love is completely illogical, it has nothing to do with logic. Generosity has nothing to do with logic, right, Ross? I'm gonna come back to this. I'm gonna repeat this point a couple times. But before I do that, I just wanna encourage us, I'm gonna be brief. Just not to let familiarity rob us tonight, rob us from like an awe of the gift of our Savior, to rob us of an anticipation. There's this temptation to think, oh man, I already know this. I've already heard this so many times. Or temptation to think, man, I don't need this, right? I've got it covered. Some of us see our need, like we see it painfully well and it's, it's uncomfortable and awkward, but it. The Lord keeps lovingly reminding me my spiritual transformation is more important than my comfort. So I hope that you see your need for a Savior. and His love is even greater than this tonight for you. Come just as you are. I want us to have anticipation. I just don't want us to miss it. You see, when Jesus came, almost everyone missed it. They... the. People who followed God, they knew that a Savior was coming, but they had different expectations. Our expectations shape what we see. Our expectations shape what we experience. And they were expecting something very different than the way Jesus came. And when you think about the way Jesus came, it was very unusual, right? Unlikely. If you could hear Charlie tell the story, improbable. It was illogical, If we think about it, you know, just walking through it for a minute, we've got two testaments in the Bible. We have something called the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament ends with a prophet named Malachi. The New Testament, we normally think about starting with the birth of Jesus, but even better, you could say it starts with John the Baptist, who's just a little bit older. So you get in between the two testaments, roughly 400 years. It's called the intertestamental period. And God was silent. There's a lot of history in this time, but God was quiet. See, He was waiting for just the right moment to reveal His plan. He had divinely planned, divinely orchestrated, because the way He did it was so unusual, so unexpected that they missed it, except for a few shepherds, right? And some wise men. First off, He sends an angel. Now, He ignored Judea. Judea had been like the heartland of God's work. Instead of Judea, he went to Galilee. And Galilee was a place that had been like mocked and scorned by the Jews because they saw it as a place of people with mixed blood. At that time, purity of blood was important. Maybe you remember some of those genealogies in the Old Testament? Some of them have to do with showing the purity of the bloodline. So they looked down on this town. But Angel also passed by Jerusalem, right, and went to Nazareth. The scholars called Nazareth a non-place. I didn't understand what that meant, but what they meant was, if you go through all the Old Testament, there's not one single mention of Nazareth. If you read Josephus, an ancient historian, he doesn't mention Nazareth at all. It's a non-place. It was known just for corruption, basically. There's a time where one of Jesus' followers, Nathaniel, says, in all seriousness, he's like, can anything good Come from Nazareth? And he's not like being silly and playful. He's like serious. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The Lord is coming in a way that's very unexpected and illogical. See, what really strikes me is that when God sent the angel Gabriel, he skipped over the temple, which was the holy place of Israel. And instead, he went to the very humble home of a little girl. Certainly illiterate certainly in a humble situation. She, she might have known a few Bible stories just from what she'd heard and what she could remember. And by Bible, I mean Old Testament. But the thing is, is, this was a very male-dominant, really chauvinistic culture. And yet God came, instead of going to the temple, to this little girl. Most scholars think that she was about 14 years old, but there are some scholars who are actually just as creditable, just as credible, who believe that Mary was probably more like 12 years old. Can you believe that? My daughter who was reading is three months shy of being 14. They give you a picture of Mary? Come on, this is crazy. This is illogical. And we've got that the Holy Spirit came and told Mary she'll give birth to a child. I didn't show all the prophecy fulfillment, but I've got one slide, Isaiah 7. See, the Lord is orchestrating it in such a way where he's showing he's fulfilling prophecies about where things happen, whether that's after Jesus was born, Joseph taking them to Egypt, how things happen, sending a sign, a virgin will conceive, have a child he will be named Emmanuel. Matthew one tells us this. It's called Emmanuel. So he does these crazy things. Another example. So Joseph, Joseph finds out that his fiance basically is pregnant, and Joseph in this culture where honor is the most valuable thing that can be acquired. And he knows he's already been shamed because his fiance is found to be pregnant and it's not his. But he knows that joining her as his spouse, he's gonna take on even more shame. But he doesn't, this is illogical. It's because an angel spoke to him. And so all throughout this story, we see things that seem strange. Illogical, but the Lord's fulfilling prophecies to show that it's him. He's sending angels. He sent angels to Zechariah. He sent angels to Joseph, to Mary. He's orchestrating it. Why? To show us that it's him so that we know that it's him pouring out the most lavish, extravagant measure of love ever in the history of time up to this point. He wants to make it clear that it's him. Because love is illogical, but he wants us to know this is him working. He's pouring out, he's giving his son. Emmanuel. The Jesus Storybook Bible, which is the one that Charlie read from. That's the one where text is coming from. One of my favorite Bibles for sure. If you don't have it, I recommend it, even if you don't have kids. But it refers to God sending a rescuer. Isn't that great language? Do you know that do you know that you need to be rescued? Again, sometimes I know it, I'm like, oh, man, yeah, I do. And other times there's the temptation, like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm self-sufficient. I've got this. But we need him. We need him for every breath, every heartbeat as our sustainer. We need him every day, every minute. And that's the beautiful thing that he's with us and he's for us. Emmanuel because we can't make ourselves right in God's eyes, and sometimes there's this temptation to think that, I borrow this from the kid's nursery. I hope that's okay. We treat God kind of like this, this, this little timer. Okay, he set it in motion. He's gonna do his thing, and he's like this distant God. He set the timer. Now, he might, like, he might occasionally intervene if I have a problem. I can ask him for help. You know, come when this happens. This happens, but this is not what it. We're told told that we're given Emmanuel, God with us, with us, all day, all night, in the good and the bad, and we need Him. He's not a distant God waiting and watching. It's God with us, Emmanuel. John Wesley, one of the great fathers of the church, he uh, he preached forty thousand sermons. A lot, isn't it, John? You pre- preached a couple yourself. 40,000, 400 publications. He would ride horseback and preach two or three times a day. One thing he said that just really gets me he says, This best of all is God is with us. He's with us. This is Emmanuel. He's with us and he's for us. Best of all, God is with us. I have another quick confession. Um, This one's not a poor parenting. This is just of me being human. I was having a conversation with Jay maybe a week or two ago, and he said something that triggered a reaction inside of me. And it's kind of like I'm going to illustrate the exact opposite of the feeling. The exact opposite is if you're my age or older, which is about five of you, but if you are, maybe you remember that time when you're a kid and you reached into your pocket and you found something valuable. Like you reach into your pocket and you're like, what? What is this? We used cash when I was a kid. But you reached into your pocket and you found like a five or a $10 bill. Anybody ever experienced that? Well, back then, five or $10 was worth a lot more. But it was like, this is such a great feeling, right? I say that because when I was having this conversation with Jay, I had the exact opposite experience where metaphorically, I reached into my pocket and I was like, oh, gross. What is that? And it was resentment. And I was like, where did that come from, Lord? I I forgave that person over 10 years ago. Why am I feeling resentment now? And this is this kind of just kind of was birthed. And then I went and did a job, and it was a job where I had one those, you know, hearing protections kind of things. And I'm running a backpack blower for a couple hours. And while I'm running the job, I'm having an imaginary conversation with this person that I've found myself to be resentful. Resentful of. And in my conversation, I am so eloquent, right? I'm so justified and righteous, right? And then this just hits me. What in the world are you doing, Adam? Why are you wasting this mental space? And the Lord was just so loving and gentle, saying, Do all you can to live at peace with everyone. If that means you need to go meet with them, go meet with them. But repent of what you're doing in your heart forgive which means keep forgiving whether they ask for forgiveness or not but this is the most beautiful part is the Lord just reminded me when Jesus came as Savior he did come to save us from our sin to wash us completely clean I love Jason said pig pen right to wash us completely clean but he also washes our conscience clean so he even washes away the shame and the guilt I don't have to feel shame and guilt because I was reaching in my pocket like, oh man, where did that resentment come from? When did I pick that back up? I have a responsibility to own what I need to own, to clean up my messes and that's guarding my heart and have conversation and apologize. And, but I don't have to walk in shame and guilt. He came as my savior to be with me and for me, to pay the price for my sin but to invite me into intimate relationship. He's not a distant God, wind-up clock, he's sitting and watching. He's Emmanuel with us, for us. Came to save us from our sin, but also to wash our consciences completely clean. And it's not logical. It's so more beautiful than what logic could create. That Jesus storybook Bible that Charlie read from describes it as this. This is how it describes the love of God. It's a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Isn't that beautiful? Unbreaking, always and forever love. Not about logic. So extravagant and vast far better than anything we could ever grasp. We just catch glimpses of it. Let's let our hearts not miss it. So now we're going to offer prayer. And I was just thinking specifically of two things if you would like to receive prayer. The first one is, is when I think about like the circumstances of Jesus being born, like the messiness and the craziness with Mary and Joseph and even Mary traveling at nine months pregnant, like crazy things. Maybe you're just going through hard, crazy, tough things and you just like for the Lord to reveal that he's with you and he's for you. If you'd like confirmation of that, we would be honored to pray for you. If you'd like to come forward and pray, we'll pray for you here. We'll have a prayer team. If maybe you're not quite comfortable coming forward, you could even just kind of put your hand up this high. Someone around you, I guarantee, would we'll be so honored to pray for you. But the second thing I want to invite you to consider receiving prayer for is this, is Mary did something so amazing. When she's speaking to the angel Gabriel, she says this, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you say. See, she models this submission and surrender. And we're never going to experience the ongoing power of Jesus unless we surrender and submit ourselves to him. So if you would like prayers of what does that even mean to surrender and submit what's it mean to walk in that we'd be honored to pray for you that too i'm gonna pray for us tc will lead us um if you like prayer again it is our privilege there's nothing embarrassing or awkward about receiving prayer so lord i just pray right now would your spirit be stirring and moving would we know that you are with us you're for us but our hearts be so full of awe and love and gratitude at the depths of your love that Holy Spirit can live in us if we're in a relationship with you. Meaning, you are in us. You are for us. I pray that we would know what it means to walk in submission and surrender. We would not see this as as weakness. We'd actually see it as power. So just pray, Lord, be stirring in our hearts as we continue to worship, as we just spend a moment still for just a moment or two. Would you be stirring in our hearts? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. If someone is feeling a conviction in their heart just to surrender their life to you, I just pray they have the courage to raise their hand and receive prayer. And maybe they want to make a public profession of that surrender, Lord. Pray, give them the courage. Your Holy Spirit would be lovingly, Warming their heart and drawing them to you. Thank you, Jesus.